Welcome to the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. Uh, This episode is the first episode of Season 2, our first episode into the 2020 year. I know it's a little bit late. Uh, Technical difficulties have kept us on the back burner a little bit, uh, but I appreciate you kind of holding in with us while we figure all this out. We get some new microphones, we got a new soundboard we're going to be working in here, and uh, So as you may notice, there's some sound quality issues through a couple of parts of this podcast uh, that I'm going to be putting up here, but I just want to uh, remind you that that's not typical and that we are correcting those problems as we speak, but I really do want to thank you for coming back and uh, sticking around for the new season, season two, Uh, and I'm really excited to uh, improve the show and show you guys what we got going on this year, so... Uh, Without further ado, this is the Feel Your Fandom Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1, The Potluck Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. Welcome to the first episode of Season 2. In case anyone out there, I haven't bugged you enough about it, where to find us, you can find us on anchor.fm forward slash Feel Your Fandom. If you want a list of all the different places that we are available for download, you can get that on our Facebook page as well, which is facebook.com forward slash Feel Your Fandom. And uh, we just got added to Spotify uh, the other the other day, so that's pretty good. That's where I listen to podcasts. So uh, if you sign up uh, as a fan of the show on Anchor.fm, you get a chance to leave messages for the show, which uh, we listen to and respond to. And if you have an idea for a show or something you want to say about a previous episode, you can leave me a message there. Uh, it also gives you the opportunity to... Uh, uh, donate a few bucks to the show if you're into that. Uh, all of that goes into the cost of keeping things running, batteries and microphones and uh, beer because I need to beer after editing these things. So, uh, Anyways, that's all of our information. That's where you can find all of us at. Uh, feel your fandom on Facebook or on Anchor.fm. So, uh, without any further ado, today, the first episode of the season two the year 2020 uh, the world of tomorrow as it were Uh, we're going to be talking about something that i'm very very passionate about uh, which is food cooking and joining me today i have my two co-hosts i got steven hello and we got amanda hey amanda was on a previous podcast we talked about uh, representation in pop culture and media it was a Fun little uh, conversation. I helped in no way. Don't don't tell them that. She helped in no way. Okay, <laughs> whatever. But so today we're going to talk about, um, well, we could talk about anything, but kind of the way I wanted to begin was talking about uh, food and cooking because uh, it's something that holds a really special place in my heart. And I know for both of you, it's something that's very uh, important in both of your lives. Now, uh a little bit about my background. I did go to culinary school for a few years. Uh, never really pursued it because, well, let's be 
Frank, working in someone else's kitchen environment is not as a prep cook is not exactly my ideal uh, situation. I like to be able to create. I like to be able to uh, be the person inventing things and not the person chopping 800 heads of lettuce for salads in one day. So I, I didn't follow up with that. But uh, uh, I do a lot of my own cooking. I had a cooking show for a while on YouTube. Um, I do a lot of kitchen cooking photography of the things that I make, and I'm planning to do a lot more of that uh, in this uh, year, 2020. So, uh, And then, uh, Stephen, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your cooking experience? What brought you to cooking? Yeah, so not to dive down into this deep emotional rabbit hole, but... Uh, <laughs> no, dive absolutely. <laughs> so... Yeah, so cooking for me uh, was a way to um, express myself because I'm autistic and I like to tell people not artistic. So I have a really hard time uh, being creative, expressing myself, connecting with people emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I've always had this uh, very intimate, if you will, connection with food. I mean, there's just something about the smells, the feel, uh, just how it becomes more than just a meal but an experience and yes. it's a absolutely it's a common language i mean people yes. people who don't understand each other for example an mm -hmm. autistic person to a neurotypical person or traveling to a country you can see anthony bourdain as he was going around africa uh can't speak any of the language but mm -hmm. they all can everyone break speaks bread. food everybody yes. speaks food and so for absolutely. me food was a way of expressing myself mm -hmm. and giving me a language which was incredibly empowering Right, so I, I never had the opportunity to go to culinary school. Uh, unfortunately, it's still a dream of mine. Uh, but I have been a homegrown cook. Uh, you can do just as much damage pain. at home as That's you can right. go to culinary school. You don't need a formal <laughs> education. I've seen what you do. Oh, well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. But uh, so, what what uh, types of things do you like cooking? Is there any kind of limitation, or do you just kind of run the gamut? Yeah, there's, there's no real limitation for me, uh, I would say, except for cucumbers. That's my least favorite food on this planet, and I try not <laughs> to touch them. But, you know, since it is a language for me, and it is an experience, I think the more I can push myself, the more I can challenge myself, uh, the more it seems like I'm connecting with myself. Mm -hmm. So food is a bit of a journey of self-discovery as well as self-expression. Absolutely. I agree completely. And what about you, Amanda? What brought you into food? Uh, well, I am from a family full of cooks and chefs. And um, food is just what we know. Like, that's how we say anything. Hmm? If we like you, we're making you stuff. If we, <laughs> you know, if you're dying, we're cooking at your funeral. Like, it's, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's just what we do. And um, I've always loved it. And it's... I actually came a little bit later for me in life than, um, like, my mother and my grandmother. Like, my Oma was cooking from when she was a child, and my mother was the same thing, oldest of four kids, and so she was cooking starting at, like, 12 or something. And I refused to go in the kitchen and learn from them. I wanted to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And um, so it took me a little bit longer. I didn't actually start getting okay at it until I was in my early 20s. <laughs> well, there's a certain kind of freedom in, in, in teaching yourself and learning at your own pace. And that's, I think, a lot of people, like I said, with, with the culinary education, it's not necessarily right. 
I mean, it'll give you the basics. Right. But any more in the culture that we live in, in the world that we live in, you can go on YouTube and right. learn the basics. Well, and for me, like, and that was pretty much what it was, is I didn't want to be like, oh, I know how to do this because someone told me how to do it. I wanted to say that I know how to do this because I know how to do this. Like, I worked really hard. Try, you know, because cooking is really just trial and error. You know, that's how I feel about it. Like, for me, like, education is great. Like, that for me is like the, the fast way to do it because then you have somebody who's hands-on kind of showing you the way mm -hmm. but for me like it's trial and error you go in the kitchen you try something if it didn't work it was an error go back and do it again yeah you know and so and i like that i like that challenge if i want to know how to make something the first thing i'm doing is i'm researching all the recipes and seeing what people do to find the common denominators but so that's I'm going exactly the, it that's exactly what i do as well but i'm going in the kitchen and i'm figuring it out for myself like mm -hmm. i'm not just i'm not just going based off of what you said to me Right, and I and I'll do the same thing. I don't necessarily just uh, pick one recipe. Let's say, like when I wanted to make Mongolian beef, yeah, I looked at uh, like six or seven different recipes and different approaches oh, yeah, to absolutely. Mongolian beef. You want to get the basics. You want to know commonalities. what the exactly. necessary ingredients are, and then you go in the kitchen and you come up with your recipe. You use you the, make use it. that as a stepping stone. That's right. And, and a lot of times I'll say like, okay, I'll, I'll pick like the one recipe that looks the most like uh, what it is I'm trying to replicate mm -hmm. yeah. and I'll make it like per the recipe but then that's when I'm like okay well this is what I like about it this right. is what I don't like exactly. about it here's what I'm going to add to it here's what I'm going to bring to it and that's where all these recipes come from there's such freedom in, yeah. in cooking experimentation and, food, and they're really like are no rules I <laughs> well unless you're baking <laughs> well, uh, there's this is rules why I don't for baking bake. I don't bake that is I don't my either. one I'm not a baker no thank you I'm not a baker don't come at me don't ask me for cookies don't ask me for brownies <laughs> don't ask me for a pie I'm not doing it you should I don't see bake. this guy's pies this guy makes some hella pies thank yeah you. thank you yeah uh, I mean I eat pie I, the I reason why I, I started making pies was because pie crust was my kryptonite I mean there's just once no you way get it, you though. get a pie dough right, and I was like, I need to, I need to figure this out. Yeah, yeah you bang at it until you find it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had something I wanted to ask you, Stephen, specifically. Now, you you post a lot of food on your on your Facebook page. You you make a lot of food for your family and friends mm -hmm. and your coworkers, and I'm jealous of every single one of them. <laughs> we got some uh, food here today. I know we do. We all made some so food. Excited. It's kind of like a, a potluck podcast, if you will. Yo, good stuff. But. Uh, you always sign all of you. You hashtag everyone. Mm -hmm. Hashtags. I always hashtagged all of mine uh, with my cooking show and everything else like that. But you hashtag one specific thing, which is I rule high rule. Yeah. Which, as anyone knows, I'm a video game nerd, and uh, high rule is of course the kingdom in the Legend of Zelda games. Mm -hmm. So you tag all of your food posts with I rule high rule, and I kind of want to know why. Yeah. So that actually started in college. Uh, I put it out there when Instagram was sort of first starting out, okay. and I, I asked my friends and family, I said, hey, I'm thinking about starting to post, uh, you know, my food out there, pictures of my food, and for me, it was a really vulnerable experience, but I asked them, I was like, I need a, I need a hashtag oh, that describes me, because uh, I couldn't come up with one on my own, mm -hmm. and there's uh, an individual named Jimmy Dean who said, I rule high rule, and I, I was love like, his I sausage. love that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I've, I've ran with that, and it's nice. it goes, I, I have that, and I have the kitchen as my battleground, and those are yeah. my Dude, two that's, that's, that. that's a tattoo right yeah. there, the yeah. kitchen is my battleground. Well, and, and to that, I mean, I've got the Hylian Crest tattooed on my leg. Nice. And so for me, The Legend of Zelda has been there 
through my whole life, the, the concept of courage, power, and wisdom. Nice. It's a big part of the, the culinary journey as well. So it kind of all ties together on a personal level, even though for most it probably doesn't make any sense. No, I, I think, know, I guess I have to. Yeah, it, as long as it makes sense to you. Right. Who gives yeah. a shit? That's yeah. right. I, I think another thing I kind of wanted to do, and I've seen people poking around on on uh, YouTube and doing a bit of that too. Did you play Breath of the Wild? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever played Legend of Zelda games? Oh, I, I know it, but... Okay. No. <laughs> there's, a, there's a component to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild that is cooking. And you gather ingredients and you right. shove them in a pot and either you'll get something that works and that'll beef up your stats and feed you and keep you energized or it just and it explodes and turns into rubbish. And you can eat it and it doesn't really give you any perks or anything, but uh, I suppose in, in a pinch if you need a tiny boost, it'll yeah. give you a tiny boost. But I've been wanting to kind of, and maybe we'll do this for another episode, just start uh, uh, replicating some of the recipes from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I want to be there for a that. Five, it sounds like a five-ingredient limit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Something ridiculous. Like, okay, so here's the, here's the basic recipe. Oh, We're going to make, like make our version of this. It's kind of like, uh, you guys ever watched uh, YouTube Binging with Babish? No, I haven't seen Okay, I think you guys would specifically look. Binging with Babish is a channel that... Uh, he does a lot of food recipes from television shows and movies. Okay. Oh, okay. So if you've seen something from a television show or a movie, mm-hmm. uh, he's the, he's recreating these recipes. Like that's pretty cool. Uh, I can't even think of any of them offhand, but like the the pasta sauce from Goodfellas and like uh, just all sorts of shit. Like he comes up with like the sandwich from uh, Adventure Time and that's like funny. That's shit fantastic. from Friends and really Seinfeld great. and. Like his channel's amazing, and he's just—he's a really. Uh, his name's Andrew Ray, and uh, his channel's just—it's like background noise for me. I'll put it on if I just want to watch someone create something interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of reminds so, me of one of my first cookbooks that I received. It was Neelix's Star Trek cookbook. Ha! Nice. Nice. Did it all See, that's cool. look like alien garbage? Because <laughs> um, well, a lot of his cooking I will say that there's something about Klingon blood sausage that just sort of turned me Not off. Not so much, kid, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to make gach. <laughs> it's hard to find the materials around here. You can't have dead gach. It has to be live and wriggling. <laughs> I believe that was a point of reference on one of the shows. But that's funny. There is something to be said about cooking in a very nerdy way. There's so much territory that you can explore with recipes and pop culture as well. I think Binging with Babish does a lot of that, but then we got cookbooks like like the one you're talking about, Neelix's cookbook. They've got a couple of different Star Wars cookbooks, the Wookiee Cookies cookbooks, (laughs) which I replicated. uh, It was something called Root Leaf Stew, and it was was supposed to be uh, what Yoda was cooking in his hut on Dagobah. Oh, and uh, it's just this wonderful little mushroom stew, and it's so mm. fucking delicious. And I can't find the recipe anymore, and I'm going to buy all those cookbooks just so I can start tracking the shit down. And, and in fact, uh, my my drummer, Brandon, uh, for Christmas, I want to say last year, not 19, 18, 2018, gave me a, a geek cookbook as well, and it's got just, like drinks and everything else in it like the pan galactic gargle blaster from uh, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and things like that and so you can really get just as nerdy and creative as you want with cooking and beverages and things like that and it's it's just kind of a cool little way to 
fold in a bunch of your different passions into one little thing. So I think we should do an episode where we just fuck around with, with recipes from Star Trek and Star Wars. Oh, and so that'd be awesome. Yeah, for sure. So what... If you, I mean, everyone's got their own personal celebrity chef that they Me. that they love. You're your own personal celebrity <laughs> no. chef. Jesus Christ! <laughs> that was a little. That was someone a little thinks a little highly <laughs> of herself. So as you were talking, so like I'm, I, <laughs> I don't necessarily veer um, in it down this. My nerd it, uh, with culinary things is a little bit different. Like I am <sighs> so in love with Alton Brown. Um, because he takes food and science and like, you know, he will take like the potato, which is literally like my favorite food on the planet and will, he knows everything. He knows the freaking biology of it. He knows like, you know, what type of soil makes it do what? And he knows like where it freaking originated and you know, that kind of thing. And to me, like, oh, that's so amazing because knowing, uh, knowing not just, your food, but like where it comes from, why it is, how it happened, those kind of things I love. Like mm-hmm. I love to just know that, you know, this cheese was fermented for 87 years before I ate it and like whatever. Like that's cool. That's so neat. Yeah, he's kind of like an interesting cross nut, and this might be a dated reference. Um, how old are you, Stephen? I'm 31. 31, okay. Might be a dated reference, but there was this guy on TV when I was growing up. His name was Mr. Wizard. And Mr. Wizard was just basically like, you've seen the Reading Rainbows and the Bob mm-hmm. Rosses. Okay. And yeah, yeah. He's basically like that with, with science for kids. Mm-hmm. And so he was very explanatory. He would talk you through it, walk you through these experiment and why it worked, and then show it off. And for kids, that was kind of cool. And Alton Brown seems very much like the educator, the cooking uh, educator, which is what so I really hot. like about him. And, and for anyone, he, I, I first got a taste of Alton Brown by watching Iron Chef. Mm-hmm. And he didn't cook oh. on Iron Chef, no, but he but was he the, the announcer. Oh. And I don't think, and I really don't think that he knows everything. I do. But he, <laughs> he definitely does his research. He makes food approachable. He makes food fun, which, I mean, that's a really good choice. Now, Stephen, who would you pick if you had to pick a celebrity chef? So I, I have a couple, uh, all for different reasons. I, I loved Alton Brown back when he was doing kind of his good eat stuff. Before he's doing he, it he again. Before he was kind of like sort of curmudgeon now. He's sort of known as this like curmudgeon He is a little judge. bit. A little and, bit. and I miss the science of it. But Alton Brown, I mean, I love the stories he tells about food, and I love yeah. how he incorporates that into his yep. dishes. But he also, I think, overcomplicates it, creating a little bit of a barrier for a lot of people who are interested in cooking. Okay. I mean... He, oh, he's definitely he, not somebody that you're just figuring out right. you want to go be in the kitchen. You don't want to right. start with him. Like, that's <laughs> the next level. And, <laughs> and I wanted to start with him in the sense of, like, I adore Alton Brown and I really look up to him. And I have a lot of respect for him as a celebrity chef. Uh, but when I talk about little nuances of celebrity chefs and why I appreciate them, I mean, this is... Uh, right to the point of, you know, with Alton Brown's complexity, but his storytelling, you know, I look at, for example, Ina Garden, who mm-hmm. goes out into her garden, she's got just this connection of, like... I feel like she's an unapproachable <laughs> Well, it, for, I, I agree, for different reasons, though, like, her, her connection to the simplicity of food, I appreciate, but the fact of that it's, like, just simple acid, fresh herbs, but... 
it is very basic cooking with her but for her like for me like there's this joke kind of on Facebook she, she did a lot of memes and things like that and it'll be something like you know well if you can't find it in the hills of Martha's Vineyard store bought is fine yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. yeah and if I had to if it came to who could express themselves through food I, I mean I'm a huge Bourdain fan absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean because it's he Food is poetry. Food is poetic. Anthony Bourdain is poetic. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, when you talk about this, like, self-expression through food, I mean, he'll tell you when he doesn't like something, but he can make a street hot dog into Seem like the poetry. Best exactly. Yeah. Thing and, ever. And so I love that. And then even, you know, some people might fault me for this, but the Gordon Ramsays and whatnot, just that intensity and, and the... Passion. The clean... Uh, kind of just technicality that is Gordon Ramsay. I appreciate that about him. So there's all these different little nuances mm-hmm. of these celebrity chefs that I appreciate. Uh, but you know, when when cooking, I think we can all appreciate this. It's such a personal thing. Right. Uh, it's hard to relate to just one. One. Yeah. Right. It's hard to boil it down. And, and in fact, there's a lot of them that have kind of shaped and colored my culinary adventures, if you will. And. It started for me way back in the day with like the old cooking shows, Emeril Lagasse mm-hmm. and Martin Yan had a show called Yan Can Cook, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Wolfgang Puck. Wolfgang Puck. Uh, and then um, Paul Perdome. If you're into Southern cooking, Paul Perdome, he was this immensely large Southern gentleman. To a point at the end of his career, he's in a, on a rascal scooter in his own kitchen. Aww. You know Aww. the food is good. Right. If homeboy is blowing up Can't like a balloon, eating a lot of food. <laughs> he's the first time I ever learned about plantains. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, gumbo, things like that. So my love of Southern cooking came from that base. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if we were to talk celebrity chefs, for me, you hit it right out of the park with two of my favorites. was uh, Anthony Bourdain and, and Gordon Ramsay, and both for different reasons. Um... Uh, they're both, I don't want to say curmudgeonly, uh, they both had definite attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon Ramsay comes across as kind of a, a pill, if you've ever watched stay Hell's lightly. Kitchen. or. <laughs> but here's the thing. You watch Hell's Kitchen, you watch MasterChef, you watch uh, 24 Hours to Hell and Back, or whatever the hell his new show's called. Um, he's a hard-edged, get-shit-done kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. Mm-hmm. But what I respect even more is if you watch, like, MasterChef Junior. If you've ever seen him on MasterChef Junior, it's such an amazing transformation because he takes all of that energy and flips it on its head. Yeah. And he's so supportive. And he's so wonderful. And he's so nurturing to these children learning how to cook that it's just it's a fucking wonder to behold. And if you know anything about his background, I've read a couple of his books. I've read a couple of Bourdain's books. Gordon Ramsay didn't even start off wanting to cook. He was a footballer. And he had a horrific knee injury that took him out of football. Mm. And so that's when he went into cooking. And, and, I mean, this is the too long didn't read version of things. uh, (laughs) And and, and actually one of the things that talked me out of going into the kitchen as as a profession was reading Bourdain's book and uh, Medium Raw. And it tells the story about how he came up in in the kitchens of, you know, New York and France and all these different environments where he uh, ended up cutting his teeth. And it's nothing but tales of struggle and drug abuse and alcohol abuse yeah. and fucking grinding 
to get to the point where he was at. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of us don't see Bourdain as a kitchen cook anymore. We all see Tony Bourdain as this guy on these wild adventures, going to all these different places, drinking fucking uh, venom-infused tequilas and shit like that, and just you know, chain-smoking and drinking his way across whichever continent he's on. And that is, he got to a point where he could do that. And, and Gordon Ramsay's going the same route now. He's definitely doing more travel-based shows. But uh, it's like you said, Gordon Ramsay and, and Anthony Bourdain can both wax so philosophical about the food and poetic about the food that it just makes it sing. Yeah. You know? And there's also there's a video going around. It was great. It was a, a video of... Uh, Gordon Ramsay making uh, some Thai dish. I want to say it was a Pad Thai or something. And he's like in front of like a Thai chef cooking it. And the Thai chef tastes it and Gordon's all proud of himself. And the Thai chef tastes it and goes, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Pad Thai. It's Pad Thai. He's like, no, it's not. And he fucking ripped Gordon Ramsay. And it's like. Nice. So even the, even the best can yeah. can get taken down a peg sometimes. So You know, I, so it, speaking like of that, what like resonates with me. So. For me, like, pretentious freaking chefs and cooks get on my nerves. I am one, but I'm just, like, it, it gets on my nerves because, like, there's, there's, there's having standards and then there's believing that unless you're at that same standard, nothing you do, like, matters or counts, which a lot of the times you see, like, like you watch Chopped or something like that and the chefs go on there and they're like, oh, we would never use a can this or we would never use a frozen that or, like, whatever. They get real judgy on you. It's so judgy. <laughs> and, and that's kind of bothersome to me because, like, what I like is um, when uh, Robert Irvine, with his shows, with, like, his restaurant Possible, and, like, he does that uh, challenge show where he gets, I don't remember the name of it, but where he gets, like, you have to feed 100 people, and this is all you have to work with, and this is kind of, you know, because yep. he makes magic, because he believes that it doesn't matter if you are a good cook or a chef, you you can make delicious things with no matter what you have whether you have a can of beans or whether you have like a freaking truffle like whatever it is you have or anything in between if you are good at what you do you can make delicious things regardless and it's about appreciating the food and taking what you have and loving the hell out of that absolutely you know what i mean and that that resonates so hard with me because i take that approach all the time i'm like it's actually one of my favorite games is going in the kitchen and seeing what I can create out of like whatever the hell's in there. I do it at the grocery store. I don't do it in the so kitchen. Fun. In so fact, fun. So uh, fun. We made a bunch of food for today's proceedings. And the dish that I made was uh, hot and sour soup. Oh, so good. I had um, to put the bowl down so it made sex noises on the machine. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a hell of a compliment. But, uh, <laughs> uh, basically, I, I do a lot of recipes that I create. I do it out of spite. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is... Uh, like, if there's something that I love but I can't find, I'll learn to make it so I have it. Or if there's something that I love that's fucking expensive, I'll learn to make it so it's not expensive. Mm-hmm. And I learned, like, Mongolian beef I learned because I couldn't find good Mongolian beef around. Uh, Charshu pork, I learned how to make that because it's ridiculously expensive. A lot of my cooking techniques are Asian-influenced. I like Asian food. Mm-hmm. Um, but... One of the dishes, the dish that I made is hot and sour soup, and and I go to a place up the road and and get their soup all the time, but it's exorbitantly expensive. So I'm like, okay, the last time I ordered it, I'm like, I'm going to pick this apart. 
and, and, I'm, and this is what I do with a lot of foods, is I'll sit there and I'll go, okay, what does this have in it? Well, it's got, it's got bok choy in it. It's got uh, mung bean sprouts. It's got mushrooms. It's got tofu. Uh, I can go from there. And then the hot, with any hot and sour soup, is in one of two different directions. It's usually uh, chili garlic paste, and then white pepper is the secret. White pepper is where all the Asian hot and sour soups get their kick. Hmm. Whereas the sour portion of hot and sour comes from uh, seasoned rice wine vinegar. So using those basics, I just, I made a list. I didn't even make a recipe, I just made a list. It's like, all right, I want this, 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 and this. Went to the grocery store, got it, and like literally last weekend when I tested this recipe, I just threw everything in a pot and see now, saw how it came out. And so today, when I made it for the show, I made it a bit more measured. I actually took measurements of what I put in and made a recipe <laughs> out of it. Uh, and if anyone's interested in that, I can uh, post that on the, uh, the Instagram account. Yes, please. <laughs> well, I'm going to give it to you regardless. <laughs> uh, we do have an Instagram account. It's uh, at Feel Your Fandom. Uh, most of the time, all we post up there is geeky memes and, and nerdy shit. <laughs> but, you know, we could throw some recipes up there, don't matter, but, uh, uh, and then, uh, Amanda, what did you make? So it's funny that you're talking about your angle in terms of cooking. So mm -hmm. I'm competitive with myself and, um, <laughs> but with other people too. I am too. Um, it's called anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good enough. I'm I'm with so for me, I, you know, he makes things because, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, pay for like whatever. And that's the way that I go about it is like, I'll eat something and I'll go, I can make that better. <laughs> I can do better than that. And then I go into my kitchen and I make it better or I do it until I've made it better. Right. And this is actually one of those things. So one of my favoriteest things, I don't really make it that often because it's like a thousand calories a bite, <laughs> but, um, is a Chipotle bacon mac and cheese. Everybody has a mac and cheese recipe that they go to, and I don't like to do anything standard. I love spice. Mm. I love cheese. I love meat. I love pasta. So bringing all that together into one dish, kind of like like it's me, like it's me in a pot, you know. And um, you in a pot. It's me in a pot. It's and in this pot. <laughs> and and actually, when I came up with this, Craft uh, actually had had a limited edition. Uh, Chipotle bacon mac and cheese that they put out in their box mm -hmm. and I bought it and I was like that's really interesting I'm gonna I'm gonna see what this is about and so I bought it and I was like I don't know what that was Weak. yeah right I was like no, no 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 that's not how you make a Chipotle bacon mac and cheese this is how you make a Chipotle bacon mac and cheese well like what I tell a lot of people is too uh, if you get a like a boxed food or something else like that there's a reason that they come purposely bland it's because it's got to appeal to a wide range of people. Right. Whereas if you go to like a restaurant uh, and it's like a chef flexing, they're flexing to get you to taste every right. bit of that flavor. Yeah. So you, and that's what I do is like, I don't make anything bland. No, no. no. You that's your, crazy. You got to put your feels into it. Thank you. That, for me, like, I can't, I can't, I'll not have it. Like, I, <laughs> like, I can't. She's oh. so animated. It's... <laughs> It's, it, that's one of those things. That's why for me, like, this is like, for me, one of the perfect, most perfect dishes is because it has all of those things, all my favorite things combined into like one area and you just eat it and it's delicious. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I've done. But I cook competitively. I cook because I want to be 
I want to be the best that I can be. That's right. I want to be. I want to be so good. And just at what I do, I don't want to be good at what you do. I don't. I don't want to be good at what you do. I want to be. (laughs) Should start with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, and and I think a a certain level of competition, either whether it's with yourself or with someone else, is is a good thing. It it helps uh, broaden you. It helps uh, keep you on your toes. Uh, And and what did you make today, Stephen? So. Uh, I'm going to answer this question in a really long roundabout way. (laughs) Because there's one celebrity chef uh, that I I think always needs to be mentioned, and that's Julia Childs in the sense of approachability and uh, just sort of the Mr. Rogers of the culinary world. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Drunk Mr. Rogers. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, I'm I'm staying out of her way. (laughs) But uh, as somebody who has a stepdaughter now, uh, and sort of bringing that, I'm, I'm not the, the most iconic mother in the world, but I like to bring the sort of motherly instinct of the kitchen to, to inspire her uh, to make cooking approachable and accessible. Right. Um, kind of taking that as a foundation for a dish today and being in the Olympia area where it's projected to be snowy and we're getting together as friends yeah, and, and supposed to break bread over a <laughs> microphone. I was like, I want to do... Uh, something nice and comforting and so i did uh, red wine and three hundred braised short ribs yes with a roasted garlic and brown butter mashed potato and i i do that (laughs) i I love i haven't had it yet and i'm just oh you're saying like delicious things in my face right now (laughs) well and i love making dishes like this because when you if you go to a restaurant and somebody serves this, you know, for, for many, there's this barrier to be able to actually try something like this. You were talking about how things could be asinine expensive, yeah. even mm-hmm. hot yeah. and sour soup, right? And in well, reality, yeah, the ingredients to make this, uh, you know, a phenomenal comfort, it's very simple, yeah. it's very approachable, and honestly, it doesn't take a lot of effort if you got the basic right. techniques down. I right. mean, this is something uh. that my daughter Olivia could do at 10 years old Absolutely. if she was interested in making short sure, ribs. of course, but, yeah. Well, that's the, same, that's the same reason I learned how to make, um, uh, what were we talking about earlier, it was the uh, the Wellington. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I know for a fact I'm never going to be in a, in a fancy enough restaurant to either order a Wellington, and if I am, it's going to be ridiculously expensive. Unnecessarily. Uh, so I learned how by Gordon Ramsay's recipe. Mm-hmm. I, I took his because it's the one I've seen the most of. Mm-hmm. And I learned his recipe, and it's like, I've got a good restaurant, a slice or two of, uh, of Wellington's going to cost you 40 50 bucks. Yeah. 35 40 bucks. I made two loaves of mm-hmm. Wellington and yeah. fed my entire family and a couple of friends. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. And it's an experience that I wouldn't have been able to have had I not just done it. Right. And it's just like you said, the price for the ingredients is nothing compared to the price that you get charged at a restaurant. Right. right. It's true. So, it's absolutely. I don't know if you all, if this happens to you, I, I sort of feel like a restaurant snob now, and I don't intend oh, I, to be. Oh, I so am. Because I don't, oh, I don't rate food date. based off of quality, but I rate off of inspiration. And it's hard to inspire me with something that I'm going to be like, I need to go back to the kitchen and try this. I need to do this. I need to do yeah. this. Like, yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't find that very often now. I yeah, and that, I agree with you. I, I'm the worst. I'm the worst date because, like, as a as someone who does this for a freaking living, you know what I mean? Like, I when I go someplace, I, I can tell what was done correctly or not correctly. I can tell 
if, there's if love. they felt yeah. yeah if they if I can tell if the person is just cranking out food for the masses because he mm-hmm. has to do it or mm-hmm. he really is enjoying his job absolutely I can tell that and so for me like it's almost never worth it anywhere and I'm, <laughs> I'm I agree with you I'm struggling to find a place where I can go there and be like you know what yeah I felt I that that's yeah. good I agree that's right. good <laughs> It is difficult to find that inspiration in, in because we, we live in a world full of fast food and, yeah. and chain restaurants. Yeah. And, I mean, all that shit's boil in a bag and, and serve, uh, whereas, you know, you got to find your little out of the way. That's why I say a lot of the hole-in-the-wall places are mm-hmm. oftentimes the most uh, stunning as far as food goes because you can find a little mom-and-pop shop that has something you've never seen before yeah. or a different take on something and and it just changes the game whereas opposed to you go to all the different like Applebee's, Olive Garden, Red Robin, Chili's. Oh my goodness. You know it's what? all the same shit. It is. It's true. Yeah. And so, um, so I was raised in Germany. That's not to be said I don't eat that shit. No. I mean, well, then no. It's well, absolutely. Um, I was raised in Germany and there are not a lot of, I mean, there might be more now, but um, when I was growing up, there was not a lot of Chain. fast food, anything. Even at, so I remember we had a KFC, but the KFC, um, to when you dine in, you actually had a plate and silverware. Hmm. Yeah, and they actually were they were serving you, and they the chicken was fried fresh, and the mashed potatoes were real mashed potatoes, not and not the powder ones. Yeah, but you didn't have a lot of. Not a lot of fast food places. Like, you were going to go and you were going to sit down and you were going to enjoy a delicious meal that was prepared nicely for you right back there. Like, and so, yeah, so I, it just, it doesn't, I'm so unimpressed by the food scene, especially here in Washington. I feel like Washington has one of the most boringest food scenes ever. Yes and no. I, I mean, we have a lot of... What are we known for? We're known for coffee and teriyaki. That's right? There's a lot of Asian-inspired. Yeah. Like, if you go someplace else, like Kentucky, Kentucky, what do they have? The hot brown. If you go to, like, Louisiana, what, you know, like, they're known for stuff. They have their gumbos and their, you know, things like that. You go to Texas, and they're known for real Mexican food. Um, and, you know, like, you go to these different places, and they're all known for things. New York has their pizza and their bagels. Like, we're not known for anything here, really, outside of basic stuff. Coffee right. and teriyaki. Yeah, we, I mean, we definitely do need more of that. I mean, Asian food. We have a lot of Asian population up here, so I think that might have colored my my cooking. But uh, anyways, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to throw a couple bites down our gullet. We're going to run a quick commercial, and then we'll be right back and uh, continue talking food. If you haven't heard about Anchor... It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So uh, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. We lost a little bit of conversation. Hopefully I'm able to hodgepodge a little bit of it back together from uh, 
uh, multiple angles and sources. We'll see what we come up with. But, uh, <laughs> Amanda's over there making sex noises while eating Stephen's short ribs. Which, <laughs> these short ribs are fork tender and, and you said cab sev? Yeah, yeah. cab sev. Oh, I would make gosh. sex noises, but then people would be worried you're murdering a whale. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we already talked about where you're located. So. Oh, goodness. Yeah, we don't need to uh, alert the neighbors. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Let me tell you guys, like, mashed potatoes are like, I like that there's um, some texture to them that you know that they're potatoes. Like, that's so great. And um, the short rib is just, it's so delicious. You can taste the... Um, the red wine sauce and like with the vegetables in there and fresh herbs so clearly ah so good like this is this is my language like this is <sighs> yeah they so say they say taste. the universal language is mathematics but I I, uh, I no. dare them to uh, say that no. food's not a universal language no I've got two math degrees and I still just want a culinary <laughs> degree I, mean, <laughs> I don't know maybe it's there's a relationship there. oh that's right you are a math guy yeah I am a math guy oh. <sighs> Can't all be. Some no. has to be. It's not. No, me. I'll let you have that one. That's fine. Thanks. Yeah, it's not me. I'm, I'm trying not to get too close to the microphone so I don't make like the, not sex noises, but definitely the <laughs> lip smacking ASMR nightmare noises that come with eating on a microphone. And we've all watched those videos on YouTube where people are talking while they're eating and it's like. Oh, it's the worst. It's like, oh my God, yeah. please, you're, you're killing me. Uh, I, was, I think we were talking earlier about the British baking bake-off challenge mm -hmm. thing and I feel like they realized after the first season the amount of noise that they were picking up when the judges were eating because they got <laughs> because they're wearing those like, lavalier mics and yeah. it's right near their face uh, I mean I adore Mary Berry but I don't need to listen to her chew ever oh again oh my gosh oh mm. <laughs> there's garlic in that yeah mm -hmm. oh so um do you guys watch shows like Chopped yeah I do one of I've, my one of my favorite things about CHOPT is, is I used to do in-home care for developmentally delayed adults and one of the things that, that they had that they liked to watch was the culinary shows on like Iron Chef and CHOPT and and all these like Guy Fieri and all these shows this is one of the things that they would watch because uh, they didn't they're not really active they would stay and, and, and watch TV all day and so that really got me into watching Chopped, which I hadn't really had much experience with. I one of my favorite things would be to watch Chopped and like pause it on the on the on on the ingredients. I do that too. I and, do that too. Have you ever, have yeah, you ever done that? Yeah, absolutely. You pause it and then you're like, okay, here's the ingredients. Here's uh, what I would do with them, and what I come I up do. with my yeah. own plan. And I I want to say it was like three different times. They did exactly what yep. I said I would do yep. with it, and yep. they fucking won. Yep. And it's like, oh shit, I'm yep. the master of chop now. Yep. <laughs> I can do this shit. That's one of my favoriteest things to do is to, um, so, me and a friend of mine, um, we like to watch uh, Guy's Grocery Games. Mm -hmm. no, I'm not and, a huge fan of Guy Fieri, but. Well, him aside, um, the show's actually really clever and really fun. And um, we do the same kind of thing there. Like, we'll pause it and be like, okay, so we can only make, we have to make an all-American breakfast, but we can only use a letter R and, you know, that kind of thing. And really challenge ourselves to see if we could come up with something good to do. And, I'm um, like, so the, some of those games are really hard. That's not, like, a place I'd ever want to go on purpose. But um, Yeah, I don't think I would flourish under that kind of pressure. No, no. But I, but I also like um, Cutthroat Kitchen for that exact reason. You can yeah. make whatever you want. They just throw challenges at you to see, like, 
what you could do instead. And do you know, like, they spend so much money on there um, because they're like, no way am I using frozen corn instead of fresh corn. And I'm just kind of like, you dummy. Like, that's the point. Get over yourself. The point is to show that no matter what's thrown at you, you can handle it and you can still make delicious things. Like, come on. (laughs) And I do that a lot, too. It's like, I like to tell people that I'm not much of a baker because baking is a science. Mm -hmm. Baking Baking is definitely science. If you don't use enough baking powder or baking Mm -hmm. soda, you're not going to get the reaction that makes the cake fluffy Mm -hmm. and the cookies rise and Mm -hmm. all this, that, and the other fucking thing. But... For me, what I like about not necessarily savory cooking, but just actual cooking and not baking, right, is because I handle it in a much more organic fashion. I handle it in a much more instinctual fashion. Like I can walk up and down the grocery store aisles and pick like a main ingredient. Okay, I'm going to do a, a pork shoulder. I can intrinsically know. Okay, this is going to work with a pork shoulder. I can do like a honey glaze, and here's mm-hmm. what to work with the honey glaze, and here's what, you know, and I can piece something together just in my head mm-hmm. without having to have a set recipe or anything else. Right. It's very instinctual and organic for me. Mm-hmm. I was telling you guys off uh, audio about this uh, buffalo chicken dip that I made that is like pretty much the ultimate in uh, uh, like Super Bowl party dips and 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 basically it all stemmed from the fact that there was an appetizer i liked it at a pizza joint we got up here which is just like chicken and jalapeno and bacon and then dipped in in uh, frank's red hot and i was going to replicate that for christmas i got incredibly lazy on the day i was supposed to make it and i'm like nah fuck that so i i'm like well what can i do with i bought all the ingredients already what can i do with these ingredients that'll serve the purpose and so yeah, I added sour cream and pepper jack cheese and and, mm. and cream cheese and. What I is made, with Americans and cream cheese? It's fucking delicious. It's so good, <laughs> and it's a good creamier. It's it fills, and 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 I made I made an amazing dip out of it, and it's it's like Super Bowl worthy dip. So, but instinctual and 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 just top of my head cooking is amazing, and that's the way I do it. As opposed to like baking, I can't. I can't bake my way out of a paper bag. So, I'm such a thinker when it comes to culinary things. Like, for me, like, it's all based on like feeling and tasting and like whatever. So for me, like, I can have an idea in my head, but it's not real until I've actually like done it and I've seen it and I've tasted it and I know that all of these things are are compatible are compatible and going to work out because i mean there's a lot of times where like you think you're like oh that's a good idea and then you go and do it and you're like that was not a good idea yeah. <laughs> yeah. but for me like i like to um like especially like if i know that i'm it's one of those times where i'm like oh my gosh i could do that so much better then i go home and i'm like how would i do that better how would i make that better what what would i do you agonize to change that i do like yeah. I, I but i feel like that's what makes me really good because i think about all the, a lot of things that people don't necessarily think about that's why like i can taste your dish and I can break it down, you know, in my head. I can break it down. Like, I, I can taste all your flavors here, which is which is fantastic, by the way, and what it's supposed to be. But I can break it down, and I can taste all the things, and I can I can say to myself, man, that was a really good move, or, like, I like that that happened, and, you know, that like I, like if I was there in the kitchen cooking with you, like, yeah. I, can, I, can, I can feel that. I can do that in my head. And to me, like, that's, and I love that. I love that. If I can pick your food apart to where I want to go, uh, no, I don't. Why did why did this happen? No, 
I don't I don't understand what's going on here then I mean that's one thing but when you can really you know kind of work through what was going on and just go man that was that's beautiful do any of you like have this feeling of vulnerability when you present a dish to somebody yes because even yes I feel like I I mean I I lack self confidence to begin with, but when if there's one thing I should be confident in, it's my ability should to cook. Mm-hmm. But anytime I put something on the plate and I I'm, you're you waiting know, for someone to take that bite, um, but yeah, and you're kind of holding your breath, and it's yeah, uh, again it's an, like an expression of yourself. They don't like it. It's almost like they don't like you. Yeah. And you've you've put like, so much so effort in, into all these little right. details. Like when right. Amanda says she's picking apart your dish and she's picking up on all these little details and she's got this refined palate to where she can do that i mean it it's almost it's it's like the best compliment you know yeah and i had a friend named Marin who used to be an avid cook as well when i was uh, involved with the society for creative anachronism the sca uh recreation and uh she had there was this honey mustard that she made at one point for a chicken dip mm. and I mean, something simple like honey mustard, but there was like 15, 20 ingredients to mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. I'm like, hey, I, I really, I love this honey mustard. I don't usually say that about honey mustard. I'm not usually a mustard guy. This is fucking amazing. I want the recipe. She's like, I'm not going to give you the recipe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you are. And she's like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the recipe if you could tell me everything that's in it. Ooh, nice. And so it turned it into a game, and I sat there. That is right. I like that kind of game for an hour, and I, like I that got kind of game. every yes. single yes. component Good job. out of it just by taste buds alone. That's amazing. I love that. She I still didn't that. give me the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> she Mary, got you. if you're listening to this for whatever reason, you owe me uh, a recipe. Damn it! That's so funny. But oh my goodness! Being able to have—it's not necessarily a, a refined palate. I don't think because. Yes, there are people who can break down food just with their taste buds alone. Not a special skill, real Right, but we all taste. Yeah. We yeah. all eat. Uh, whether your tastes run plain yeah. or whether your tastes run exotic right. or spicy. Yeah. Or, we all eat. And so being able to speak that love, it's a love language. Like anything else. Yes. Mm-hmm. The ability to communicate you your feelings through yes. food. That is why food has such emotional triggers for us when when you smell something in the air when you taste something that just kind of shuts your mouth for a second and you're just like oh shit yes (laughs) yes listen you can talk me into pretty much anything if you give me something delicious to eat first that's good to know you're gonna file that nugget away (laughs) but um i like for instance i have a, a friend named frankie he's been on the show a few times uh frankie's puerto rican and uh he doesn't cook so he uh, hired me to cook for him a couple of times to make uh, Puerto Rican dishes for him. And Puerto Rican food is not something that I necessarily had any kind of mm-hmm. experience with. Mm-hmm. But I do, again, like I do with every other recipe that I duplicate or replicate, I will find the commonalities. Right. So, for instance, um, there was one recipe that he wanted. It was uh, arroz con gondulas, which is basically uh, rice with these pigeon peas. Uh, and it's got sofrito and ham and and all sorts of lovely oh, okay. wonderfulness to it. But again, I took the commonalities right. and I found yeah. what worked, what went yep. where. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I created this big old. You see my Dutch oven in there, my my cast iron Dutch oven. Uh, I took that 
to this uh, uh, party that he put together that he wanted to do when they released uh, Super Smash Brothers for the Switch. He had a bunch of people come over and play Smash Brothers. So what we did is I brought it over and I let him taste it. Once it was cooked, I let him taste it. And just for a split second, I was able to see kind of his eyes roll back a little bit when he put it in his mouth. And I knew I'd hit the right spot. But then again, he and, and around Christmas time, he hired me to make uh, Coquito, which again, it's, it's Puerto Rican. It's not something I'm familiar with. I had to Google it. It's uh, basically a Puerto Rican version of egg dough. Oh, okay. Hmm. There's no eggs okay. in it. It's it's coconut milk and and uh, coconut cream and evaporated okay. milk Sounds and condensed good. milk and hmm. all the milks. Uh, rum, a oh, fuckload of rum. Um, but so I made that for the first time. And I brought it over to his house, and, and again, the same kind of situation. He took a sip of it, he goes, oh, shit, that's it. And that got me. Those are the moments that, you know, you, you, you fucking, you're speaking someone's yes. language. Yep. Yes. You're speaking someone's memories and their, and their instincts, and you're triggering Absolutely. them on that level that food is one of the only ways you can really do that. Absolutely. Through the aroma, through the taste, through the, mm. the textures even. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I love so much about food is it is this language of appreciation, this language of yeah. uh, you're speaking to someone's soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I like so much about it is because when you find a way to, I'm going to keep eating these mashed potatoes because they're <laughs> fucking delicious. <laughs> right? When you find, I've got so much food over here, I'm dying here. When you find a way to reach someone's soul on that kind of level, there's nothing better. Like Toll House cookies. That's why Toll House makes all that money on cookies. You put them in the oven, the smell of that hits the air, and immediately you're transported back to your childhood. Uh, or you just eat the tube of dough. <laughs> that shame. That I mean, what do you think is one food uh, that kind of no matter when you hear it or taste it or smell it it just kind of gets into your soul Stephen what do you think oh man uh, what smell what taste just drops you so there's there's a few but one that immediately comes to my mind is just the smell of a barbecue mm. um, I was thinking that too charcoal or propane uh, so my, my parents no. always had propane uh, but I just remember when I was a kid uh, just being outside, and I remember my dad would be cooking burgers in the summer, and my mom had this little garden that she'd always plant corn and stuff like that in there, and we'd have corn from the garden, fresh hamburgers, and awesome. just that, that smell, the, the charring of the meat, and, um, and, and I don't know why, but another smell that always comes to my mind is the smell of my mom caramelizing either onions or oh, mushrooms yeah. in a pan. Oh, I mm -hmm. love that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's just something about that, uh, mm. that when I cook a dish, I feel like I always need to start with some form of caramelized onions <laughs> or caramelized mushrooms. <laughs> I was never like that nostalgic that. Yeah. feel to it. You well, know? it gets you in the mood. Right. It's like that. It's yeah, like a, a cooking aphrodisiac almost. Yeah. Not even kidding. Like yeah. it's so true. My my fiance and my my daughter, uh, just when I was actually prepping for for this meal here, I ended up cooking uh, some onions out in the garage because 
they uh, they're not huge fans of the burning eyeballs and things like that. But I'm I'm known for going through five pounds of onions in a single sitting and nice. and blowing through them. Yeah, so, you got to make adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, for me, I think one of the one of the smells that kind of brings me back is when I was yeah, when I was a kid uh, about fourteen fifteen. One of my first jobs was slinging soda pop out of one of those uh, mobile racks mm -hmm. at the football stadium on the Air Force Academy. Oh, okay. And then once I graduated from sodas, I got to push uh, an ice cream cart around <laughs> and sell these uh, chipwich ice cream sandwiches. And, and I would make, you know, $50, $100, $150 bucks in a game, and that was my spending money for the month whenever I'd work at the, at the stadium. And so... One of the things that they used to do at the stadium is they would have these uh, yakitori guys oh. who would come and it was just grilled yakitori chicken on a stick. Yeah. And it was like a dollar a stick and sometimes I'd be channeling dollars into that and <laughs> wondering where all my, my spare change had gone. But what happens is, is even now, uh, I think that is part of what triggered my love of teriyaki as a food group. Teriyaki mm -hmm. is one of my favorite things. Uh, and it's that smell of that charred meat mm -hmm. that, that gets me. And so every now and again, I'll walk by like a teriyaki place uh, and, and I'll catch that in the air and it just instantly just transports me back there. And, and it's, it's just such a happy, happy trigger memory. Yeah. So what about you, Amanda? I am a sauce girl. I love... You're a saucy girl. Sauce, gravy, you know, any type of... Oh, sauce. I love it. Like, that's my thing. And um, so I I love, I learned early how to make all of my favorite sauces. Mm -hmm. You know, like enchilada sauce, I can make that. I learned how to make that. And I love when that is going because enchiladas is one of my favorite foods. Um, I love also like a, any type of like a marinara or, you know, like a ragu kind of a thing. Like, I love that. Just have to cook and sit. Mm -hmm. And part of that is the smell, but again, for me, it's just, I love sauce, and I love the taste <laughs> of it. And it just, ugh. I learned how to make an arribiata sauce because... Ah, uh, no. You don't like arribiata? You don't no. like spicy? No, no because the, also then they, um, there tends to be sugar, like a lot of sugar in that, mm. too. It can be. Oh, I, I learned how to make... Well, I created it. One of the very first dishes that I remember creating from scratch was a dish that I call uh, pasta arribiata con chorizo. And it's Yum. because I love chorizo. I grew up with chorizo. Um, I wanted to find new things to do with it. Right. Because you only ever really see chorizo in one of a couple ways. You find right. the Portuguese chorizo you find in like the link form and sliced right. and, and shit like that, like a kielbasa. Or you find the ground chorizo, which you serve with eggs. Right. And, and it's chorizo and eggs. Huevos, uh, chorizo con huevos. And for me, you know, I love it. I love it. That's how I judge a Mexican restaurant is I'll go there and I'll, <laughs> I'll taste their chorizo con huevos and be like, okay, thing. you guys got it or my shit's too salty. Get the yeah. fuck out of here with that. <laughs> um, but one of the first dishes I learned to make by myself, created by myself that I can remember, was this pasta arribiata con chorizo. And what it was was I was making, I wanted to put chorizo in a pasta dish. Um... And I hadn't had much luck finding a pasta dish with chorizo in it that wasn't like the link chorizo. So I, I, I ground it up and I used the oil from the chorizo, which is this very 
uh, very red, flavorful. unctuous, yeah. flavorful oil, yeah. and I use that to, to saute the peppers uh, and onions, red onions, red pepper, green pepper. Yeah, I use the oil from that. I you know I just supplement a little olive oil in there because it might not be enough, but uh, you saute the veg in that. Then you toss the meat and the veg together with um, the arrabbiata sauce. And I chose arrabbiata sauce because I wanted something to match that spiciness from the sausage, something to match that spiciness from the peppers. I wanted something that kind of went with it. And arrabbiata is kind of a uh, uh, where most conventional Italian pasta sauces are uh, tomato based. This one derives more of a sweet pepper base. Yeah, it tends to be pretty right. sweet. So, well, I mean, you can add sugar, you cannot. I mean, I started off with store-bought sauce. Yeah. But, and then you toss all that together, and at the very end, right before you serve it with the pasta, you hit it with sour cream. Or you can use queso, uh, not queso fresco, but uh, a creme fraiche. Right. And you hit it with that at the very, very end, and what that does is it tamps down that heat just a little mm-hmm. bit, mm-hmm. and it makes it this creamy, wonderful orange mm-hmm. sauce, and... It's one of my favorite. I've actually made it for people as a catering dish. People have asked me to cater with that dish, and uh, it's one of my favorites to this day to make. And now I know how to make my own chorizo. Now I know how to make right. my own arrabbiata sauce. So I can truly, truly scratch make this from 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 nothing, and it, it warms my damn soul, which is good. My cold black soul. Soul, <laughs> but, uh, but my mouth is watering. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking, it's like, God, stop talking about fucking food. Whose idea was this, by the way? my idea. But, okay, so let's, let's divert it then a little bit. Now, we, I know, Amanda, you know that we talk a lot about geeky shit on this show. Uh, there's definitely a pop culture sci-fi geek bent to fuel your fandom because a lot of fandoms are inclusive of um, things that you you know passionate about, mm-hmm. which is... Why I say we can get away with talking about cooking, but by and large, a lot of this show is talking about pop culture yeah. and comic books and video games and such. So, And usually at the beginning of each episode, I like to ask uh, my guests to talk a little bit about what they're nerdy about. So uh, I did forget to do that. So we're going to start with Stephen because I have had you on the show previous. Stephen, uh, what are you passionate about? What are, what are your fandoms? Uh, so if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, uh, my answer would have been slightly different. Okay. Because one of the things that's been a big influence in my life is my fiance and her daughter, so Jessica and Olivia. They've got uh, a shout out there, Jessica. Yeah, they <laughs> they've given me just uh, you know so much to, to look for and so much inspiration. So Aww. when we talk about like cooking, and I, we were even having some sidebar conversations and comments about things like anxiety and whatnot, right? But uh, it works its way into everything. It, it does, right? But I will never cook a dish like I did today for myself. It's just not what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and having somebody to kind of like express myself through food yes. is just so oh, important. And then yes. being able, you know, buying uh, like little MasterChef Junior baking sets for Olivia to get out there. And I mean, it just, it adds so much experience to something that's already um, very important to me. But I am, I am a- um, That's incredible. I'm a nerd and a geek. Um, Love it. Both personally and professionally. I was gonna say, in the traditional sense, you yeah. do no math. So. Yeah, I do. I do math professionally, and uh, but I am a retro video gamer. I've got, you know, the NES, the Atari, the Super Nintendo, all this stuff at home. Nice. We're talking about video game tattoos. Got oh, yeah. that. Um, but 
we're, we're all looking out the window because the wind is blowing, but being up in the Pacific Northwest and with the outdoors as well. Gee, <laughs> uh, a bit stormy out there. And we, uh, I was admiring all of Kevin's um, you should see memorabilia here. You should see it's all insane. of the video games that I don't have out here. Yeah, I, I can insane. only imagine. But uh, this is this is my language: Star Trek, Star Wars. It doesn't matter. It's a safe community, which I love. Absolutely. Um, and there's just this uh, security and uh, family that's been built around that, uh, and some of my greatest friendships uh, built around uh, my fandoms, and it's it's been life changing. You know? Absolutely. What about you, Amanda? Tell me something about what you're... What are you passionate about? Well, um... I know I, Doctor Who. We talked about <laughs> Doctor Who last I, time. I won't. I won't go there. <laughs> um, Who is your doctor? Matt? No. No? Who's your doctor? David Tennant? Yeah. He's in my house. I love David Tennant just because he's David Tennant. He's in my he's house. He's the voice of fucking Scrooge McDuck now. I is have... He, he yeah, because he's... he's yeah, um... So, he, I have a life-size David Tennant in my house... And no, she's got him in a trunk. He's well, let him out. Sometimes, sometimes he sleeps in my bed with me. It's fine. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I tell people all the time, I'm like, well, David Tennant lives at my house. So. I don't know where to go with it. <laughs> um, but I'm, as Kevin knows, like I'm, I'm an actress. That's I'm a chef by day and an actress by night. And a general pain in the ass. <sighs> that's that's fair. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, I just I love. Well, I spent a lot of time the last few years um, building my life so that I'm only doing the things that make me happy, that I'm only doing the things I'm passionate about. And I live in the city, so like everything is right there for me. My work is right there. Um, when I do my shows and things, it's right there. I don't have to go very far for it. And, um, you know, people that I like are really close to me. And it's, for me, like that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about the fact that I can do my passions all the time. I found out a way to do it. Yeah. And if ever that stops being the case, then I'm making some adjustments so that it's back on track because now that I've had this, like, feeling in my life, like, I'm not getting rid of that, like, at all. Well, that's why I do things like the podcast and, like, what I did with the YouTube cooking show is because they always say you never want to take your passion and make a career out of it, and I get that because it definitely... We were talking about... Uh, when you when you have a lot of exposure to something that you're cooking, for instance, right. you may not necessarily want to eat that after. Right. Morning. Oh yeah, all the time. And, and I have that a lot too. And it's same thing with your passions and everything. If you make a job out of right. uh, your passion, sometimes you yeah. your passion for it wanes. And that's why it's exactly why. So I um, I work in a cafe now, but um, all through my adult life, I worked for myself. I was. A party planner. Um, I did wedding catering. I did, you know, personal chefing and things like that. And um, for me, I don't ever want the things that make me happy to feel like work. Because the moment they feel like work, I don't want to do them anymore. Right. You know, which is why, like, with my even with my acting career, I I keep myself local. I don't. I purposefully. I don't go to Seattle. I don't do anything bigger than that. I mean, I did do a commercial a couple months ago, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, I keep even that local because I don't want it to feel like work. I, I want for the things that make me happy to continue to make me happy right. on my terms. Not anybody else's. No, and that's a, that makes a lot of sense, too. And, and ultimately, I'm, I mean, we talk about a lot of geek-related shit on this channel. And we had a nice long conversation recently about uh, toxic fandom and a follow-up conversation. We talked about how I've gotten to the point 
in my I'm gonna I'm gonna say it out loud I'm 42 years old that's a lot of years it's a pleasure just to be able to be this old mm -hmm. and they say that aging is something that is denied to a lot of people yeah so growing old not necessarily gracefully I'm fighting it tooth and nail but um, as I get older I find myself less and less wanting to be a part of that vocal toxic community and we talked a lot about you know star wars is in is is mm -hmm. in chic right now because the rise of skywalker has been released the end of the skywalker saga as they say i doubt that but i was gonna say don't even get me started <laughs> they're gonna keep going with it don't get me started they're gonna, they're gonna milk a dead horse oh, to, to smash two euphemisms together um <laughs> That you could try. Didn't that what Luke did in the last Jedi? He built that thing and oh my gross. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of toxicity that's involved with fandom because, and, and I get it. When you, when you, whenever you're inspiring passion about something, you're gonna find people who are rabidly anti. -blah. Whatever it is, yeah. yeah. So and I've and I've been trying to to embrace the mindset of being able to find something about it that you like like let's say you like the jj abrams star trek reboots and then the second one came out and i i think i'm a fan of what jj abrams did with the star trek franchise as a whole i thought his casting was fantastic he brought a new life into it he envisioned a new direction for it i did not like benedict cumberbatch mm. as as con mm -hmm. because they'd spent a year and a half during production telling people he's not playing Khan, he's not playing Khan, this isn't Wrath of Khan, this isn't Khan, and what the fuck did they do? They flipped it around and it was fucking Khan, you know? And, but that's not the Khan that we were brought up with. Right. Khan Noonien Singh was Ricardo Montalban, which he's dead. You can't do much about it, the fact that he's fucking dead. But the fact of the matter is, the Kelvin and I'm going to get really nerdy here, the Kelvin franchise, which is what they call the J.J. Abrams Star Trek franchise, diverted at that battle of, uh, of the, I don't know what they call the battle, the, when, when Nero's ship came through the wormhole from the future back to the past mm -hmm. and caused things to change. Uh, and by destroying Vulcan and this, that, and the other thing, they created their own thing. But the thing is... Prior to that event, there was still World War III. There was still the eugenics wars that created creatures like Khan, people like Khan, and then they got put into deep sleep, put on the Botany Bay, sent into space. So at the time that the Kelvin timeline diverged, Khan was already in space. So the fact that they changed Khan from a uh, I want to say Hispanic, Ricardo Montalban is Hispanic by nature. The Karnunian Singh is an Indian name. But they changed the ethnicity, they changed the background, they changed everything to bring in Benedict Cumberbatch when it's already established. Yeah. That was too much for me to take. But I'm not saying I hate on the franchise. I like, there's a lot that I do like about that. Carl Urban as, as Dr. McCoy and you know, uh, Zachary Quinto as Spock, spot on performances. Yeah. There's the, and, and I'm very much of the opinion that you need to be able to find the joy 
and kind of push aside that toxic negativity because it doesn't serve you in this life. I mean, okay, and I'm not, and that's not to say that you should be toxic and you know whatever spout out all the awful things. But is it necessary to like everything? No. Let's say, let's say for instance, uh, Return of Skywalker. There's a very divisive movie. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people didn't like it for varying and, and, and whatever reasons. The fact of the matter is, and I said this in the last episode, not everything is made for everyone. Right, and that's kind of my thinking on it. It's like, you can say, you know what, I didn't care for that. You don't have to stomp on it. Right, and that's, that's the key. It's just, you, can you didn't not care like for it. it, separate yourself, mm-hmm. go about your life. <laughs> don't get on the internet and rage fanboy about it, like, I would have done this, and I would have done that, and I can't believe they did this, and it's like, just it let people it like it. Let, let it people, if the people yeah. who like it are going to like it. The people who don't like it are going right. to hate, you know? And if you go into everything with a negative mindset, it's going to be negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's not enough of that going that's on. Some, yeah, we see it all the time, right? And... I don't know if we're allowed to put business names out there. No, uh, I mean, but that's what you're say. Well, uh, <laughs> I think this is somebody that we all appreciate, but Gabby out oh, here, yeah. Gabby Cards and Comics. One of the things that I appreciate so much about her is that um, she welcomes anybody from all backgrounds, all diversities. Uh, but she is Mama Bear, man. You, you go in there, and if you disrespect the safe space, oh, that, that's the only yeah. time that uh, you'll see. <laughs> You know, the claws uh, Gabby's out. bad side. Nice. But uh, something I appreciate about the environment that she's built for herself is this foundation of safety, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know about you all, yeah. Safety, yeah. But being a being a nerd and being a, a large nerd at that large physically, I should say. I mean, I was bullied my whole entire childhood, mm-hmm. and I had a very hard time uh, connecting with people and accepting myself for who I am. And then I just felt different for the things that I liked and, and knowing that you can be a fan of something and safely express that and then be accepted into a community, which I mean, from a human standpoint, right? right? Anthropologically, people need their pack. They need to be accepted as something that people look to, to survive. You know, there's a lot of this in, you know the this concept of fandom uh, mm-hmm. that we look for, and I think a, a lot of that gets ruined from this toxic trolling that we see, or people with just this constant negative mindset who can't see Absolutely. any positivity in, in anything that goes out there. And you know, it's just why bother being a fan of something right? you're going to be yeah. shitty about it, right? And you know, you, you made a really good point, and that's literally why I moved here to this area um, from my family's property, which I could be on but refuse um <laughs> is for that very reason i was raised like so raised with german so there's that but um it's i didn't find anybody who thought like me who identified with the things that you know um you know the different facets of who i am until i moved here and i realized that for once, I'm not the craziest thing in the room. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I guess it depends on the room. This is awesome. Shut up. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's true. And I, I feel like when you find a space that um, that allows you to be who you are, like, that makes all the difference in the world, you know? And you can be into your interests. And you can be nerdy and passionate about whatever crazy thing that it is because... You know they're doing it with you. Yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's, and I, I love that. I love that so hard. Like 
you know, I'm not quite the same type of nerd as like you guys, but I still feel like I qualify because, I mean, let's get onto a theater conversation. <laughs> and that's a hole that you'll have to, like, need, need like 10 feet of rope to get me out of. <laughs> Based off of the noises that you make when we eat, we know that you're capable of being a fan of something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's a really uh, a good thing that you put uh, uh, Gabby out there. Olympic cards and comics and Lacey Washington, if anyone's curious. Uh, I've been a, a huge fan of hers in particular for a lot of years. Um, I could track my uh, patronage of her shop back like four shops. Wow. Like when she used to be part of the South Sound Mall. And I used to go there, and I was delivering pizzas. It was when I was 20 or 21, so if that tells you how many years it's been. And uh, I used to bring pizzas to her at the mall wow. on my way home from from, uh, from working in Tacoma. I worked at a Little Caesars Pizza in Tacoma uh, when I was 20, 21. Yeah, 20. Uh, because it was cause I was out there uh, singing in the, the karaoke bar in Tacoma when I was underage, and shh, would have gotten someone in trouble. <laughs> But uh, I think we're past we'll the statute. That bar. We're past the statute of limitations, and that bar's closed anyway. Oh. But, um, but I used to come back with pizzas from that gig, and then I would uh, bring them to her, and she would cut me a discount on the comics, and that's awesome. It was always fantastic, and she's always been, like you said, the mama bear for the nerd community, and and she's very awesome. supportive of all different walks of life, all mm -hmm. different people, and and in fact, I put together a. Me and my former band, uh, the band before I'm in, the one I'm in now, uh, we put together a charity called Metal Cares, uh, and uh, she was single-handedly, her donations through her shop uh, made up a good two-thirds of what we, we wow. picked up for that. Nice. Was, we're talking just truckloads of nice. food and, yeah. and, and stuff that we were able to take to the food banks because That's awesome. of her. That's great. She does it all the time, back-to-school food. Uh, lunch boxes, donations uh, to homeless shelters and things like that. Uh, Gabby Shepard Trotman is one of the shining beacons of the nerd community nice. in so the Lacey and Olympia area. Her husband is pretty badass too. Uh, Eric, yeah. have you met Eric? Yeah, I've met Eric. Eric, uh, he, he's actually the one who designed my logo for Cooking and Complicated. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, he's the one who put that together. That's he awesome. does a little... Uh, graphic design studio that he calls uh, Fedora Monkey. Oh, cool. And so he does a lot of graphic design and, and things, and he, he designed that. He designed the logo for Metal Cares, and, you know, he's a stand-up dude. He used to write for West End Games. and That's awesome. And things like that, and so... Well, uh, a, it's a small world here. Um, Gabby used to go to my father's comic book shop when she was a little girl. Oh, my, nice. My father owned a comic book shop here in Olympia for a while. Nice. Um, and he, he said it was the worst business decision he's ever made. Uh, <laughs> back in the day, uh, when he when he initially did it, uh, he was like, "If only I had I had known that this oh, would have no. picked up like it did." Uh, but I, it was pretty cool to take him into Gabby's for the first time. Which shop did he uh, own? Was it anything I don't know about? I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was just uh, it was downtown, I think, off a of fourth in this tiny little nook. But it would have been a danger room. No, no, yeah. this was like. 70s, 80s. Oh, okay. Um, Pre-danger room kind of. Yeah. Because they're still going down there. They still changed hand a couple times, but danger room. Yeah. Yeah, they're down there. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I think we can all agree that, you know, passion and fandom doesn't necessarily have to revolve around sci-fi or, mm-hmm. or, or video game culture or movies or this, that, or the other thing. It can encompass so very much of what we do. And in fact, uh, I'm a huge fan of Kevin Smith. I don't know if you guys oh, are yeah. a huge fan yeah. of Kevin Smith, but uh, my buddy Patrick is going to steal me on Tuesday. We're going to go downtown where Kevin Smith uh, is supposed to be performing at the Olympia Theater. And uh, he don't, we don't have tickets, so we're not getting in. But pa- one of Patrick's favorite things to do is, I call it star-stalking. He finds out where these people are going to be, and he's just there. For instance, last night he got his picture taken with Pat Oswalt. He just happened to be where Pat Oswalt was. That's, that's hysterical. It's fucking ridiculous. And, and I'm starting to really... It's a little creepy, yeah. But he's kidnapping me tomorrow night. He's like, well... And this is the creepiest thing I've ever heard him say. He's like, well, there's only two ways out of that place, so... <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, Patrick, don't get us arrested. <laughs> but that being said, I'm going to go because fuck, if I can meet Kevin Smith and Jay Muse, I, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I think the wonderful thing about... Is that snow? Yeah, yeah it just started. It's coming down like mad already. Bitch. You see that wind on there? I do. You guys, well, the snowflakes are so big, I think we can see the pattern from here. Well, I want to just, I want to thank the both of you for coming over and spending this time with me. I'm going to piece together whatever I can piece together out of this audio. I know the mic went kind of stupid there for a minute, but uh, uh, especially I want to let you guys get going now that the snow started kicking in. Oh my gosh. And uh, I want to thank you guys for coming over. And Thanks for having us. Breaking yes, bread. Yeah, this was fun. This was fun. We're going to do it again, I think. Yeah. Yay. I love Any it, excuse man. to cook for you guys, I'm down. We'll come up with some new recipes. Yes. Same, man. Yes. It'll be a lot of fun. And yeah, absolutely. Cause we should come up with a challenge for each other. <gasps> Ooh. Yeah. Hey, that. maybe our own little version of Chop. I yeah. love that. Interesting. Well, I've got a couple of new segments that I'm going to be breaking out throughout the course of this year. I'm going to talk about them a little bit now again. Uh, we're going to do something called a binge watch, uh, and and it's exactly like it sounds. I'm going to find someone who hasn't seen something, watch it, and then get like a take every five every five five minute take every every episode, for instance. That's awesome. And then a final wrap up after. And I think I've talked to Frankie about doing that with Enter, uh, not Enterprise, excuse me, Discovery, because he hasn't seen Star Trek Discovery. He refuses to shell out the money for CBS. I get it. I have it, so we can sit there and 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 I want to kind of walk him through that. Like some, uh, have you ever watched Firefly? Well, then that's it. Gonna, <laughs> I hear it's good. We're gonna watch Firefly, but it was only like two seasons or something, season. wasn't it? it was one se- See, that's my thing. My thing is I don't mind watching things, especially if I've never seen it before. But if there's only like one or two seasons, is it worth it? Absolutely. Okay. Firefly is pretty good. Okay. Absolutely. Well, then why is it only one season if it was because that good? Because Fox is short-sighted and stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. But Joss Whedon. It's Joss Whedon. Yeah, him I so, like. Yeah. So, anyways, but that's another segment that we're going to talk about, so maybe we'll do this uh, this uh, cooking challenge yes. segment. I don't know what we'll call it yet, but uh, I'm into the idea, very hardcore into that idea, so... But I want to thank you guys for coming around and, and joining us for another episode of Feel Your Fandom. And uh, again, I just I really appreciate being able to do what I do, whether it's one person listening or 100 people listening, I don't care. I do it because I love it. I talk to my friends. Yep. It gives me an opportunity to interact with people that maybe I wouldn't have had previous. So uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. But like I always like to say, uh, everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Thanks, you guys.